Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Is your love flowing in the right directions? Vertically in your love for God and horizontally in your love for one another. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah wraps up the series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, with a closer look at the brotherly aspect of love, a love so unique it has its own name. Listen now as David concludes his message, What is the Greatest Commandment? And I want to thank you for joining us for this final teaching on the 10 questions Christians are asking. Uh, If you go back through the series, we've talked about the assurance of salvation, how to overcome temptation, how to get victory over worry, where you can find forgiveness. Is there really only one way to God? Why do Christians have so many problems? Why don't my prayers get answered? Is there a sin God cannot forgive? What is faith? And this final question, what is the greatest commandment? These 10 questions we have taught during the month of May, but we've also put all this information in a book, and the title of the book is 10 Questions Christians Are Asking. It is available to you for a gift of any size during the final days of the month of May. Send your gift. I want to encourage you to be as generous as you can be. Do what God tells you to do, and ask for the book, and we'll send it to you. It'll come right to your home, and you'll have it available for your use in the days ahead. Well, I'm anxious to get back to this question. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, here's the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this particular passage is repeated in the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke, And it takes kind of a little right turn from those passages. Let me show you what I mean. In Matthew chapter 7, we read the companion passage to this one. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and prophets. And then Luke says it this way. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. That's the second part of Jesus' answer. But you know what that's become, don't you? That's now called the golden rule. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This rule that we learned as kids, do unto others as you have them do unto you, is an old and honorable thing that God gave us in the text. And a lot of good has been done by people trying to practice this. As a guide to personal values, however, if you don't take it in the context in which it was given, surrounded by loving God with all your heart, you will get in trouble with the golden rule. Because the golden rule has a downside when it's taken out of context. If applied out of context, it can backfire and cause personality conflicts. You say, how can that happen? Well, apart from loving God first and loving others as you love yourself, if you use the golden rule as your dictum of life, you are really going to treat people the way you like to be treated, which means you will deal with others from your own perspective And it implies that we're all alike, and what I want and need is exactly what you want and need. But of course, we're not all alike, and treating others the way we can 
means turning off those who have different needs and desires and hopes. Instead, let me suggest to you that you take it one step further. I remember a couple years ago, a business book came out called The Platinum Rule. So the platinum rule is supposed to trump the golden rule, just like your platinum card trumps your gold card. What is the platinum rule? It's kind of interesting the way they put it. I'm not saying you replace the golden rule with the platinum rule, but here's the platinum rule. The golden rule says, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. The platinum rule says, do unto others as they would like to have done to them. In other words, do unto others not as you want them to do to you, but do unto others as they would like to have done to them. Don't measure your relationships by what you want in the person who you love, but get to work and find out what's going on in the heart of the person you love and then try to help meet their needs. That's what they call the platinum rule, but it's not really any different. It's just the golden rule in the context in which it was presented. And so the golden rule, first of all, is not conclusive. You can't just take it and say, oh, I live by the golden rule. If you do that out of the context of the New Testament, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and probably a few enemies. Not only is it not conclusive, it's not comprehensive. Let me just give you the bottom line on it not being comprehensive. Listen carefully. You can't get to heaven on the golden rule. Can't get there. You stand before the Lord someday, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? You say, well, I kept the golden rule. Not. (laughs) Depart from me, I never knew you. The golden rule does not include all of the principle of morality in one statement. It is not the perfect guide to conduct. And if all the world would just follow this principle, the world would be healed of all of its sickness. No, it would not. You cannot go to heaven by following the golden rule. It will not save you. It has no power to forgive your sin or justify you in the sight of God. So whatever else you want to understand about the golden rule, don't make it the end all of spirituality. It's a major principle if you understand it correctly in the word of God. But if you make it your only rule in life, you will miss totally its purpose. So will you say, if the golden rule is not conclusive and it's not comprehensive, then what's the use of it? Well, the purpose of this and the second part of Jesus' answer to the question, what is the great commandment, is to understand that it's important that we, who tend to keep all of this stuff in our own sphere and our eyes on ourselves, if we're to really understand what it means to love God, we have to get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes on to other people And this is very conclusively proven at the end of this message. But listen to me. If you go through the Bible, you will begin to discover over and over again that this principle jumps to the top in many passages. Let me just give you three places where this is presented. Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Romans 15.2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. And 1 Corinthians 10, 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Someone has said that if we love our neighbors as we love ourselves, when our neighbor loses his job, we feel his loss almost like we have lost our job. When our neighbor loses his spouse or her spouse, we feel like it's almost happened to us. If we love our neighbors as we love ourselves, 
we get past the barriers that separate us and into the heart of the one we love and we discover what their need really is and we identify with it as if it were our own need. In the culture in which Jesus walked on this earth and in which the Bible was written, there were a number of words for love. One of the most well-known is the word eros, from which we get our word erotic. It is the word for sexual love or sensual love. And then there was another word called steros, however you want to pronounce it, and that was a word that was for friendships, the kind of relationships you have sometimes with your Christian friends, your friendships. So there was erotic love and there was friendship love. But when Jesus came on the scene, a new word was born. And that word is the word agape, almost unknown before the presence of Jesus. And that's because the word agape is a God word. It's the word that describes God's love for us. And the best definition of agape love is this, doing something for others without any expectation of anything in return. That's how God loved us. You know why he has to love us that way? I'm going to tell you right now because we got nothing to give him. If he didn't love us with agape love, he couldn't love us. If his love was like the love we see in our world today, we would never be loved. But God loved us totally because it was in his heart to love us without any expectation that we could do anything to repay him. And the Bible says that's the kind of love we're to express when we love our neighbors. Love your neighbors And don't be waiting around at the mailbox to see if they sent you a thank you note. (laughs) Or don't get all anxiety driven because you did this for them and spent three weeks and you ain't heard one thing back from these sorry people that you love. (laughs) When you love people with agape love, you love them because it's the nature of God in you to help you do it and you don't wait for any response. Now, the Bible says that this kind of love has a big picture application. Let me read to you a verse from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14. This is what it says. For all the law was fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Did you see what he said? He said the whole law is wrapped up in loving your neighbor as yourself. I'll give you a little exercise to do when you get a chance. In the book of Exodus in the 20th chapter is the listing of the Ten Commandments. When you get a chance, go through and read them and you'll notice that the first four commandments in the list of Ten Commandments are commandments that have to do with your relationship with God. Have no other God before me, no graven images, that kind of thing. At the top of the first four commandments, write the first part of Jesus' answer here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. When you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you will keep those first four things. When you get to the end of the fourth commandment, leave a little space in your notes and write, and your neighbor as yourself, and your neighbor as yourself is a summary statement of the last six commandments in the Decalogue. Don't murder. You don't love somebody if you murder them. Don't take their wife and commit adultery with her. Don't covet all of the things you don't do because you love your neighbor. You got it? First four commandments, love God with all your heart. Second six commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. That's why the writer of the book of Galatians can say, all of the law hangs on this one truth. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice, as we come through to the end of this text, that there is a 
superiority of the first commandment in verse 13. Jesus explains in his answer that I've been explaining to you today, and he gives them the answer that we have studied, and now notice what happens. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices." Now, that is a profound statement. Here is a scribe. What is a scribe? He's a professional religious person. What does he do? He lives in the sacrificial and ritual part of the temple. He is a leader in the worship of the Jews in the outwardness of their faith. And he would evaluate himself without these words from Jesus as to whether he was a good Jew or a bad Jew by what? Do I keep the sacrifices? Do I do the offerings? Do I do everything that the Jewish law requires of me? And he would probably say, absolutely. But now this scribe listens to Jesus define the reality of his walk, and he says, you know what? I get it, Lord. I realize now that loving you with all my heart, soul, and mind and loving my neighbors myself is even more important than all the sacrifices and all the rituals and all of the religious stuff that I do. You have no way to comprehend how profound that was at this moment. Here is a man who lives in the professional outward world of Judaism, acknowledging that all of the stuff that he does to make himself feel better as a Jew is in second place to loving God with all of his heart and loving his neighbor as himself. Wow. It's the last thing you would have expected him to say. The downgrading of the sacrificial system is all the more forceful because it is pronounced by a theologian of the religious establishment in the temple where the sacrifices were being offered. So how's Jesus going to respond to that? That brings us to the last verse in the text or the last section of it. And Jesus said, first of all, now when Jesus saw he answered wisely, he said to him, listen to this, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What you have understood today about the importance of loving God and loving your neighbor You're moving closer to the kingdom of God. You're not far. And the Bible says, and then Jesus didn't answer any more questions. End of the period of interrogation. Now, please note what Jesus said. He said, you're not far. He affirms what the teacher of the law had said. He says, you've understood something and you're not far from the kingdom of God. But being not far is not good enough. He's not in the kingdom. He's just not far from it. That is, he has not fully chosen God's rule for himself, but he does not have far to go. To be in the kingdom, you must do more than simply approve of what Jesus says. You must submit entirely to his authority and do what Jesus says. To know it and not do it is to be not far. I mean, I thought about this. Suppose you're standing before God and he says, why should I let into my heaven? And you say, well, Lord, I don't think I'm far. Think I'm close. How many of you know you don't want to be close when you get to heaven? You want to be all the way there, close. He said, sir, you're not far from the kingdom of God. 
You need to make the next step. Take what you now know and submit to it and put it into practice. I know a lot of people that come to church. You come with your families. You're okay with it. When you first came, you weren't. When you first came, you thought we were a little radical. Now you love the music. You know, the preacher's clothed and in his right mind. And, <laughs> you know, at least most of the time. And, and anyway. And so you're okay with it. And you're here. And you, and you know what? You're not far. You're not far. You're a lot closer than you used to be. You've drawn near. You've opened your mind up to hear it. But you don't want to end your life with this epitaph. He was not far from the kingdom of God. You want to be all the way. You need to embrace what you've heard. Accept the one about whom we speak. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Don't be close. Be all the way. Now, as we kind of look back over our shoulders at this interchange Jesus had with this man, I want to remind you of how this all fits together. Remember, Jesus was asked one question, and he gave two answers. What is the first commandment? And Jesus gave him, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. That's not one answer. That's two. One question, two answers. But now, in his answer, he's going to wed these two things together, so really, it is one answer. How do you love God? You love God by loving your neighbor. You know, that's a very interesting thing because I know a lot of people who think that loving God is getting a warm, fuzzy feeling around their heart when they sing a hymn in church or when they pray or when they read the Bible. I felt really, really close to God. All of that's good and wonderful. I don't have anything bad to say about that. But I want you to understand what the Bible says about loving God. The Bible says you love God by loving your neighbor. And over and over again in the Scripture illustrations, if a man comes to you and he needs some food in the middle of the night, and you say, go and be blessed, and I'll pray for you. What does the Scripture say? The Scripture says, how does that man love? Love is not a warm, fuzzy feeling around your heart. Love is an action word. When you love, you do something. When you love somebody, you do something. Oh, if our churches could just get a hold of this. Don't sit there in a pious, self-made sanctuary and say, oh, I really love God, and then never lift a finger to help anybody. Here is an ironclad illustration of that from an interchange Jesus previews in his Olivet Discourse. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Jesus said, If you want to love me, you need to love others. 
because by loving others, you love me. And I went back through this list, and it's pretty profound, isn't it? What is on this list? Giving somebody who's hungry something to eat, giving somebody who's thirsty something to drink, putting some clothes on somebody who doesn't have any, helping somebody who is sick, visiting somebody in the hospital, or working with somebody who's in prison. Quite a list, isn't it? That's what the Scripture says. You love God by loving others. You serve God by serving others. And that kind of takes this out of the quote-unquote spiritual realm and puts it down in the practical realm where it belongs. So much of our doctrine never gets outside of our house. So much of our belief never gets past the door. But the Bible says you want to know what it's like to really live according to the sign that's on the front of you? You want to live up to what it means to be a Christian? Here it is. So simple and yet so profound. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does that mean? That means when I'm loving my neighbor, I'm to love them with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then as I love my neighbor, I'm loving God. And I'm fulfilling the number one priority that God has for us. Here's a little formula that I think is very helpful. How many of you know that one of the ways you love your neighbor is you tell them about Jesus Christ? And the Bible says we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Do you know what that's called? It's called the great, what? Commission. And this commandment that Jesus has taught us about today, you know what that's called? That's the great commandment. So you got the great commission and the great commandment. Here's a little formula. A great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment will make great churches and great Christians. Did you know that? A great commitment to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment will make great churches and great Christians. You want to be a great Christian? Do you have a great commitment to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission? That's the avenue to become a great Christian, and that's what makes great churches. And so what this is more than anything else for all of us, it's just kind of a little checkpoint Just a little place for us to stop for a moment and ask ourselves, am I loving God? Am I doing something for God? What you need to do is carve out a place for you to work. You need a place where you can serve because that's how you love God. If you got something going and it doesn't involve the church and you're serving God, God bless you. But the church is the place primarily where we get plugged in and where we serve God. And by serving God, we love God. Amen. Amen. And friends, there's never been a time when there have been more opportunities to serve God than there are right now. Hurting people are everywhere. So don't use the excuse that you don't know what God wants you to do. Step out and do what seems evident to you, and God will lead you from that point. My dad used to tell me this all the time. It's really hard to steer a stopped car. The steering doesn't work unless the car's moving, and God will steer you When you start obeying him, he'll show you somebody to help. He'll point you in the direction of some need. And you don't have to go off and have a prayer summit in order to decide whether to do it. Just do it. And then in your obedience, God will lead you onward. You know, we have a lot of discussion in our churches these days about gifts. And I think the greatest gift God gives to anybody is the gift of availability. Are you are you willing? Are you available to serve God? He'll show you what to do. Hey, this is Friday. It's my opportunity to exhort you. 
I have been getting a little flack from some people because I tell them it's important to go back to church. Let me qualify that. If you're not well, if you're vulnerable, maybe if you haven't been vaccinated, however you look at safety, then do what you need to do. But if you're okay, and if you know in your heart, it's time for me to go back to church, then let the Spirit of God direct you backward. I'm not telling people to go to church who shouldn't go. I am saying that one of the things that will happen from the pandemic is people will find a comfort zone and figure out that that they can go to church in their pajamas. And I don't think God honors that. So um, don't send me any emails. Don't write me any letters. Don't call my phone number. I'm just trying to be the servant God has called me to be. The Bible says I'm to exhort people to good works. And I believe God is not done with the church. He tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So if you live in a church area and you're not going to church and you're not sick and don't have anybody in your family that's sick and you know in your heart it's time to go back and God's leading you, go back to church. Watch us on television. We'll be there when church isn't going on or you can DVR the program. It's everywhere. It'll be an encouragement to you. And we'll see you right here on Monday. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. How has your life been impacted by this ministry? Let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta BC, V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, and learn to live with greater confidence. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as Dr. David Jeremiah shares how to live under pressure here on Turning Point. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Blaise Pascal was a 17th century Frenchman who was a mathematician, inventor, and theologian, a child prodigy who invented a mechanical calculator while just a teenager. Pascal knew something about reaping rewards for work done well, yet it was Pascal who wrote, Noble deeds that are concealed are most esteemed. 
His biblical studies, no doubt, were the source of that truth, since it was Jesus who cautioned about doing good works publicly to gain a reward. Jesus suggested that we can do our works publicly and receive the reward of men, or do them privately and receive God's reward. I'm thinking God's rewards are always best. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's rewards on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.